0: Look long term. The great startups take time to build, so you need to see where the world will be in a few years from now and build for, for that world, not for the world that is today.
1: Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode. In this episode, we will talk about how you can start a startup. And to talk about this, we have invited a very special guest. He is the co-founder of Coatsphere, and he's also featured in Forbes 30 Under 30. So a warm welcome to Roman, and tell us about yourself.
0: Hey, thank you for having me, Josefa. Um, I... Um, a co founder of code and code is a cloud provider which aims to simplify how development is being done today. So many times when you start a project, you need to set up a certain infrastructure to host this project. And that takes time and requires knowledge and budget. What we do is we try to automate as much of it as possible. Thus, allowing engineers to focus what really matters and that's solving the problem of their users yeah that is that is that is very
1: cool i have seen your website and your platform as well like uh it is you know very intriguing like from the editor you are just provisioning the infrastructure and then like it is live so you don't have to you know just get into that detail so that is very cool thank you and can you walk us through your initial journey like how you come into this tech space and then you started your own product and now it is doing so good
0: well it was a long journey and uh, i i grew up with a a mindset which was like you need to be born with uh, math brains to uh, become a scientist and uh, like growing up, I wasn't good at school, I wasn't good at math, or anything. I I never tried coding until 21 year old. And uh, I didn't really see myself being an engineer or being a tech startup founder, although I did watch movies about Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, and I aspired to become an entrepreneur one day, but I wanted to be like my mom, because she opened a an ice cream shop when I was 14. And I, I thought that maybe one day, I will open a restaurant as well. Um It was only when I was 21. I essentially randomly stumbled upon a presentation about Mars colonization by Elon Musk, that something clicked in my head. And uh, after doing a short research on Elon Musk, I found out that he programmed a video game when he was 13 and I was already 21 and never tried coding in my life. And for me, it was low key offensive to hear that or learn that. And so I decided to give it a try because if I'm 21 and he did it at 13, I must be able to do at least something. Yeah. And so I went to YouTube, search how to learn programming and randomly, stumbled upon an amazing course which is called cs50 it is a harvard introductory course to computer science um and uh, i just did this course then continued learning for another year and finally landed a job in it great great
1: and when you just uh this is about you know when you started coding like you learned uh, using that course and then you went into the it industry then when you get the idea of codesphere and like uh when you get the idea and then like you take action on that like take us through that journey
0: so it took a bit of time prior to CodeSphere. um i started to work in it in 2018 in the february in february of that year and that was a blockchain startup where i was building and uh, an analogy of kickstarter on ethereum blockchain that was the first startup that i worked in Um, i worked there for a little over a year then i ventured off and started my own startup called tau with a a focus on providing drivers of electric vehicles with charging stations owned by residents uh, thus solving the bottleneck of lack of charging stations Um, this project survived for one year but eventually we had to shut it off due to lack of funding and the the pandemic that started in 2020 and uh, shortly after probably maybe four months after we had to shut it down i got contacted by um, a friend of mine an investor who introduced me to now my co-founder Elias. And uh, that's how we met um, while being in different countries and just meeting over Google Meet. And uh, we essentially talked about the idea of CodeSphere. So Alice was the one who came up with the initial idea and then we discussed it. Um, I gave my, uh, my my feedback. I discussed certain concerns that I had and we kind of continued conversing over the following weeks or months. And eventually, um, I joined shortly after Alice and Janice, two of my co-founders, raised the pre-seed round. And uh, then, I believe, like three months after that, we, three of us, launched the alpha version of CodSphere in March 2021. Great, great, great.
1: And then, like, when you, you know, launched the initial version at that time, I think you or like a team of like three or four people or like at that time you had like uh, different people, 10 plus team.
0: When we launched the first version, we had only three engineers, us co-founders. Okay, great. And then like,
1: uh, obviously to build an amazing product, you need like a team, right? That understand your vision and that works for the same vision. Everybody is aligned on a, you know, same vision and then they are all are working hard because working in a startup is different. Like working with a big enterprise is like, because you you have like a lot of work, then you have like a lot of developers, but with startup, it is like, sometimes it is a bit tough as well. So how did you build that
0: team? So in the beginning, all engineering was split into three parts equally between us co-founders we had uh, a designer who was working uh, uh, as a, as an outsource member of the team um, also finance was outsourced marketing um and then later after the first launch we hired three students um part-time and uh, we were mentoring them and they were helping um and that's basically how our team stayed for the first year, until we raised the seed round. Um, when we raised the seed round, which was five point six million dollars, our team exploded from like six, seven people to thirty plus, and uh, we definitely had many. Issues because of such fast growth. So, we did miss hire because of this fast growth. We did lack certain processes in the company and structure. So, there were lots of things we needed to invent on the way, uh, which we weren't prepared uh, for. And uh, yeah, I think the first year after we raised Seed Round, we were essentially working on fixing those mistakes and building processes yeah
1: and this is like a very good lesson for all the people right like who is who are listening to this podcast that it is not like you know i ask you like how you get that dream team and then build that amazing product but it's not like that like for a person who is looking from the side they are thinking you know this guy they have like a very good team and then that's why they have built this so it's not like you like in the start get a very good team you do like a lot of mistakes you learn from them you create processes so it's an ongoing process then you have like a very good solid like uh, guys and you know who are working with you from the start and then how it uh, grows
0: yes this is very well noted the same applies to the software itself the alpha version of the product though it might have looked somewhat similar, um, in general, yet, pretty much all features that were in the original version were revamped, reworked because the original iteration was full of issues performance wise, and also bugs, of course. And uh, even those versions that we have right now, they're likely not final. So it's a constant process of learning and improving.
1: Yeah. And like in software, I believe like, you know, you cannot make like a perfect product, right? There there will, there will are going to be, you know, certain issues and problems with your product, like every now and then. Like even like big companies, like, you know, even GitHub, like we all use that, right? So if you go to GitHub's status page and then you will see that they have reported like uh, 30 issues that they have encountered. Like last month I was checking it was 28 issues reported on their GitHub status page uh that they have publicly announced that we are facing this issue in this particular service like maybe in the github actions or in that that service and then you can you know imagine like how many issues they have faced actually in the production environment like in a month like it will be more than 100 right so i have seen a lot of guys they are like you know i am going to make my product even more stable more stable i will work on that and then i will release it and by doing so they spend like you know, months and months and then there are some new changes in the package or like, you know, there's new things coming in and then you have to do that as well because you have to maintain that. So by doing so, they eventually, I would say, you know, they miss the opportunity. You have to, when you think, okay, it's working, it's like good. You have to release it and then it's an iterative process and you just make it better.
0: Yeah, and also you need to get feedback. Sometimes you might be building something that, users don't need and then if you make it perfect and spend a lot of time then you basically just waste more time and more money as a business
1: yeah that that is true and like you know when your product was ready and everything you know uh went on track so then obviously you also get uh featured in forbes 30 the 30 so how was that feeling and uh what's the story behind that
0: um that really came out of the blue. Um, so it was 2022, I believe. Yeah, it was 2022, and uh, that was after we raised seed round of funding, and uh, it was one year after. Wait, no, it was it was just the year. It was just few months after we raised the seed round of funding. We already had our product in beta. Um, and uh, yeah, one day, just um, Forbes reached out to me via email, not to not just to me, but to us co-founders, and they just sent some form to fill out. And uh, I, with me, it was kind of delayed. And they, they were like, you need to submit it like this day until 10 p.m. And I was on the train and I was like, oh, my God, I have like just a few hours. So um, there was unnecessarily stressful um but yeah after that just submitted the form forgot about it and i think a few weeks later while i was uh on 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 a trip uh, on a short trip to spain i got an email which was essentially an invite to a slack community like forbes under 30 and i was like okay maybe it's like a community for candidates like you know like general chat and then i i opened it and I, i was like thinking okay I'll I'll just take a look at, at who won um and I, I opened it I looked at the, one of the channels and in, in that slack workspace and there was an article so I opened the article and I started scrolling just like there are like different categories um like sports technologists and etc and at some point I saw us and I was like wow, we made it to Forbes 30 Under 30. And I immediately copied the link and sent to my co-founders. And I think the first day, none of us really believed in it. (laughs) But um, my mom was (laughs) really happy to to see that. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it it felt surreal. Yeah, that is true. You know, like, because
1: uh, obviously, you know, a recognition from, you know, Forbes, like, as a kid as well we all know you know what is Forbes like either you're living in whatever country everyone knows about it so it's like that it has that kind of impact and then when you get featured on that obviously like it's not about you being happy because your family because they don't know much about you know you raise a seed round or like you have this amazing feature in your product like they might not understand it you know your family your dad so but if you get featured in these sort of like big you know uh, magazine and then like it's sort of like different you know ball game everyone you know it's, it's like amazing i would say you know uh, I, I bet you know you can uh, you will remember this you know uh, whole story of being in the train and like the rest of your life
0: absolutely yeah and uh, seeing reaction of my family and friends it's uh... Very valuable to me.
1: Yeah, that is true. And coming back to the how to, you know, start your own startup. So what are the key ingredients uh, for anyone who wants to start a startup? Like what are the things that they need to consider to do it?
0: Um personally, I think you need to be really passionate about the subject. Um at least I struggle when with, with things that are like only to, I don't know, build um, money or something, I always need to have like a bigger problem to solve, um, which improves lives of people around the world. And uh, I, I truly believe that if you are going into this wild journey, you need to be prepared for like five to 10 year trip or journey and uh, it will be really hard and tough and you will have to make many sacrifices and uh, i don't think you would be ready for it if you weren't really passionate about the subject yeah
1: that, that is that is very true and uh obviously because uh with a lot of people i have seen like you know you try one idea it doesn't work you try for like one year or two years then you try another one then you try another one But with some people, you know, they try one and it works. So you don't have to get demotivated that I have tried like five and it didn't work. And the other guy just tried one and it works. So I believe, you know, you're right. Like when you go down that road, you have to be patient. And it's not like you have to be just patient and you're not working very hard. So it's like a mix of both. You have to be very hungry. You're working a lot. Plus on the same time you are not you know uh you have to be patient in a way that if you do not get like you know big fundings or you do not see the result you are patient you're like okay it will happen eventually so it's like uh yeah and I would say it's like a tough journey and plus it involves a lot of passion
0: yeah honestly like those who make it big from the first try I haven't met them personally and uh, those who you hear about on the internet they usually also have some other startups that you just don't know about even like mark zuckerberg like facebook wasn't his first project so yeah plus like i believe
1: like for someone who just you know uh made one product and it eventually blew up it can be a case if that guy was in the industry for like you know so many years he was in the software industry maybe for like 10 20 years and he was uh VP of product and he actually you know see the whole process and everything he has the context as well so he when that person started his own product he has uh, the funding as well because he has those contacts so in that case it can be true but still very hard to believe but for someone you know like us like you know young guys so yeah it's very difficult you know just start one and thinking about like this will you know uh, this will be the final product so you just have to keep working on that absolutely and yeah the next thing is like you have a particular idea in your mind right and then like how to validate that that this is the right idea and there is a market need for that particular product that i am going to create because obviously you are going to invest your time you're going to invest your money so you have to validate that and i believe that it is the most important part like if you do not validate your idea and just directly go into that it it is like, you know, uh, not advisable as well.
0: So what you need to do is simple, though executing it is hard. You need to talk to as many people as you can, and you also need to be very selective um, in who you talk to, because you can get very biased opinion if you talk to people of the same group or demographic or geography. So you need to be mindful of that. Um, you usually don't even need to have anything, just the concept that is you can explain or maybe show some mockups, 3D renders, whatever, depending on the application, and uh, get feedback, always get feedback. This is the, let's say, this is the least expensive thing you can do uh, when you're starting a company because starting with a product building something investing your time hiring other people without feedback you will just build something that nobody wants so get feedback early on without anything
1: and like how to find guys you know uh to ask the feedback from like uh from LinkedIn or like uh, approaching similar guys like who ha- who have uh, actually built a product like like that or what's your take on that
0: I think that those are valid sources, of course, LinkedIn, you can basically find anyone on LinkedIn. Um, then, of course, it depends on what is your business idea? What is your target audience? Mm-hmm. And uh, based on that, you will select like, which companies to go to, like, are these enterprises are the smaller businesses or are this like let's say private developers or private users so you always need to understand like who you're serving who is your customer and uh, then also talk to other entrepreneurs or those who did a similar journey who are further than you in the process they will will have the most actionable advice for you and uh, also get a mentor as early as you can
1: yeah that that is also very important like you have a mentor that the person who has like actually uh, seen uh, a lot more uh, of ho- the whole tech industry and who has gone through a lot and then they can you know guide you they can channelize you to you know okay put your effort in that direction and that is very important and uh, the next important point that i want to discuss is like You know, whenever we talk about startups and all of that, so the first thing, you know, everybody think is like after the idea is how to get the funding, because obviously all the startup, they are, they don't have like a lot of cash, you know, so how to get that funding, you know, what's the process like and uh, tell us about that, like, you know, because a lot of people, because uh, these startup ideas are initiated by uh, tech guys, right? And tech guys are not very, you know, they do not have like a lot of friends and they're not very, you know, uh, socializing. They're, they're not very good in that, most of them. So then like, you know, getting the funding and all that, it, it requires, you know, your social skill and all that. So uh, how these guys can approach uh, this funding uh, thing?
0: Um. Yeah, that... That sounds relatable. (laughs) I'm also an engineer, and I'm also leaning more on the introvert side. Um, So you need to network with people and you need to do it in advance to the actual funding. You never want to approach people when you need money, you need to approach people well before and build meaningful relationship with them. Um, Sometimes it's better to start with uh, let's say entrepreneurs. Uh you get familiar with someone maybe some maybe your friend is building something interesting. Um those friends you can get them if you attend meetups or conferences. Um usually there are meetups in like in in big cities or even smaller cities have local meetups for specific topics like let's say JavaScript or React um etc. And uh, yeah, just just talk to them, ask them to introduce you, to make an introduction because investors, they let's say a lot of people try to approach them and it's really hard to identify who to trust. But if somebody who you already worked with introduces a person to you, it's kind of like it helps get in touch with this person without having to storm through cold email because uh emails are not you know it's like not everyone opens every email um so yeah that's basically it just network in advance um i know it's not comfortable for people who are more introverted but that's the way it is
1: <laughs> that that is, that is very true so anyone who is watching and you have a plan in the future you know uh the advice would be to you know start networking from now and then eventually like after like one or two years three years when you have the product and everything then you have like a lot of good connections as well so you don't have to worry uh about that uh you know so yeah that is good advice and uh when you are building a product you know Uh, So how to set the, you know, initial target audience and define some constraints because, you know, in the startup, you get like overwhelmed, you know, you think, okay, I can add this. The other person is saying, you know, we can also add this feature. So it sometimes get very confusing. Like you can add, obviously, in every product, you have like a lot of things that you can add. If you start thinking about this aspect, right, like you don't think about the product stability, growth, anything. Just think about like what we can add to deliver more value. There will be, you know, hundreds of things that you can add. So, how to restrict? But adding them also, you know, it can cause a problem as well. That your product was initially perceived as this thing, and then you add too many things, and users sort of get confused. So, how you guys approach that in your startup as well? That you guys stick to a certain, you know, agenda or like certain you had like certain boundaries. So, how did that go?
0: Um, so, first of all, we made many mistakes on that front. Um, in the beginning it was rather like in the very beginning it was rather simple because there was just nothing and we were like okay what are like things that will be required anyways regardless which path we will go um, so that was that. Then we had the period let's say from alpha launch to maybe over the seed round already when we were essentially adding features. And uh, we did add features that we had to kill later on. So we did make mistakes. Um, And as soon as we had capital, we hired product managers and started doing product research, user interviews, and tried to learn as much as possible. We created lists of features and tried to prioritize them based on user feedback, both quantitative and qualitative. Um, we tried to build the uh, mockups using Figma, which are inter- I- interactive templates, and we gave them to users. They used that, them, gave feedback, and we did some iterations on that. Um, and yeah, that's essentially what we started doing. Uh, we still weren't perfect. We made mistakes regardless, even with feedback. Um, and uh, yeah, now now since we already have Uh, real users real customers now we try to be data driven um, and uh, build what uh, our customers need like what are their main pain points and uh, why, why i say try because sometimes we just don't have enough data so there are still certain assumptions that we have to make till this day
1: and when you talk about feedback so one way is you know just like having a small quick call or like through email but what other you know techniques that you guys have applied like is there any integration in the platform or any pop-ups or something like that to gather feedback Uh,
0: we don't have integrations in the product itself Um, there is a link to the feedback page uh, where you can go you can also vote for features which features you want to see in the product and then We also do send emails um, asking to give feedback on our product. Um, It's essentially a pretty simple survey. There's a great article um, about how superhuman, a startup developed a product market feed validation engine. Um, And we're using a survey from there, which is essentially there are few fields um one is a user needs to answer whether uh they will be very disappointed if the product would disappear or they would be just disappointed or there would be no change so one of the three and then there are a few fields that say what is like um what is the main pain point or what would you like to see in the product, things like that. And so we do segment our user base and send those emails to gather feedback. And based on that data, we build our roadmap and roll out features.
1: Yeah, that that is an interesting uh, strategy that you have just told. And uh, the next thing is that like all the startups, they have like limited budget so how they you know plan the marketing uh, obviously they uh on the one side we have like paid advertisement and then we have like google ads and then on the other side there is like the concept of organic you know doing the seo and link building and all that so obviously then Doing all of that, it requires you know uh, a lot of cost as well. So, uh, and then like we also have this influencer marketing. Like uh, in some products, it is very good that you know you go down that road as well. So, but like how you know you guys uh, decided like you know how to you know spend that much on advertisement and like uh, how did that went?
0: So we started experimenting with ads very early into the journey, even before the first release for software release. And uh, it was, uh, I think, Google ads from the get go, then later, Twitter, LinkedIn, Reddit, YouTube. So we tried many, many different things. We tried blog articles on our platform on medium on ghost. Um, we tried influencer marketing, we tried posting videos on YouTube, we tried podcasts, running our own podcast in house. Um, so Spotify, so we tried many different mediums and uh, it was always it's like a lo- very long a b testing we're always trying out something new um, removing what doesn't work and doubling down on what works and uh yeah it's it's pretty much the same um now it's like we are doing a lot of A/B testing um yeah
1: I think you guys have like done almost uh, everything <laughs> all the, you have mentioned like a lot of things. So yeah, that is good that you guys are trying like almost all the mediums and seeing, you know, what works and, you know, doubling down on that. That's like a good technique. So yeah, that is good. So let's talk about, you know, when your product, you know, start getting more user base and then there's like more traffic on your platform. So uh is there any hiccups like in terms of like scaling and then uh how to handle that aspect obviously because the one thing is that you have your product ready, then you get the funding, then obviously all of a sudden you started you know advertisement and everything you know you you know up a notch the whole budget and everything, and then you have like a lot of users, so how to make sure that at that time your product is you know going smooth
0: um so an important aspect is. Of course, the design we have very strict processes around design of our software. Um, we have team members coming from Google, and Google is quite famous for for its engineering processes. So we inherited many policies and practices from there. Um we have guides for pretty much everything, like how to write code, how to test code, how to design how to write design documents, how to review code as well.. Um, And uh, we try to invest as much as possible in design phase so that we don't have issues later on, whether just technical limitations or let's say performance bottlenecks. Uh, So that's one major area where we invest. Um, The second one is, of course, testing. Um, Then uh, we do have a set of load tests that we run to identify what is the maximum load Um, We always look for bottlenecks. Let's say like we have microservice architecture, and uh, it might be that like, let's say there's like a certain service that just gets way more traffic than others. So we think about Okay, do we just scale horizontally? Or do we need to adjust the code or add some caching somewhere? So these are regular things we do. Um, I would say, in advance, but not too well in advance.
1: Okay, and then you mentioned like load testing. So, can you tell you know what was uh, the tool that you guys use uh, for load testing?
0: I think it was K Six. Um, I think it's by Grafana. Yeah, team. yeah. It's it's a really good tool. I think it's my favorite from all that I use. It's it has a cloud version, um, but you can also run it uh, locally and uh it has really good integrate very simple integration to grafana as well um you can write it in in javascript or typescript at least maybe in other languages as well so yeah highly recommend it it's
1: like an amazing tool i just wanted to know because in the load testing i have created like a whole video series as well using k6 and grafana and everything and uh now like last month they have made me their advocate as well uh k6 and grafana team so i was checking mm-hmm. out like what tool that you guys uh you know use because i have also tried like a lot of them and then uh it was like uh, i remember like one year ago a client told me you know they had this requirement that uh they're uh, saying that we need to load test our system so i was like okay so i haven't like done that previously so i try to explore like a lot of tools and then using k6 like i have like gone into very detail like how to mimic all of the grafana everything locally with docker then automatic test case generation it has like so many things and then also testing like WebSockets as well and redis like they have like a lot of features so from there like yeah they eventually contacted me and then i also became uh their advocate but yeah it's it's like a great tool
0: this is awesome. Yeah, websockets was uh uh the main reason why we selected K6 over other tools because they had limited support for websockets.
1: Yeah, that is that is true because from websockets I uh There's like a very quick case study I will, you know, share here in this video that like recently in our Respond IO, it's like a messaging platform. So they it's like Omni channel, like all the Facebook Messenger, all these platforms is uh, integrated with Respond. And then in Respond, you have these agents and you are replying to all the, you know, customers. So they uh, handle like Respond handle like around uh, 10 million plus messages, you know. So it's like every two weeks three weeks so they have like terabytes of data every month so it's like a huge volume of data so then all the other services we have like cloud formation and terraform everything is you know auto scaling everything is enabled but for the specifically for the messaging service we had like only one server one big giant server and then they are you know mm-hmm. confused that like uh okay how do we scale it it was like uh using Laravel. all the other services are obviously converted into node but that part was still in the legacy so then we plan on you know just creating multiple instances. And then like internally, all the instances will talk to each other using Redis. And then because Mm -hmm. when you have multiple socket servers, it, it can be a case like one person is attached to socket one, the other one is attached to socket three. So how they can, you know, communicate with each other because, uh, usually the socket server uh, emit like one there's like one socket server that server gets the call and that server will emit it so using like you know we implemented like the whole thing using redis adapter and then like uh to load test it like the new implementation then we use k6 and like we put like a lot of load and it like really helped us you know to understand that this new implementation is actually good so it's like a very crucial aspect. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of people doesn't know about it. So yeah, I would say, you know, just check that out. Like K6 is like a good tool.
0: Yeah, and it's pretty easy to add it to your CI as well. Yeah, that, that is that is true.
1: And then like uh, in the startup, like uh, one of a very crucial aspect is that like customer retention. Like because you are running ads, you are doing a lot of things. So a lot of people are coming to your platform. but Investors are also very keen towards this, uh, you know, retention metric as well, that it can be a case they come to your platform, like after two or three hours, they are gone, and then they're not coming back. So obviously, uh, all the tech uh, startups, they have like different integration checking the retention rate and everything. So how to make sure that the platform has, you know, good retention rate and like you guys are like, how to make sure that, you know, with every passing day, your retention rate is getting better
0: um so for private users I, I don't know what our retention is i know that our retention is very high for customers like um companies uh enterprises we haven't lost a single one um uh, so far and uh i think it's mainly because we are driven by the feedback we receive from them we treat it really seriously and uh, we consider Um, every feature that our customers need, and uh, our delivery times are also pretty um, small. So like whenever we get a request, a feature request usually takes, let's say, two months, like max to deliver it to production. And uh, I think that customers appreciate that speed. uh, Because in big companies, the timelines are way longer yeah
1: because they have a lot of plan already planned you know they are like okay we will plan this this and then they have like a lot of sops so for them to ship something you know based on feedback is it takes a lot of time and uh talking about like you know your competition so do you guys have any competitors in that particular space
0: of course we do have many companies that we all have an overlap with starting with more traditional cloud providers like aws google cloud digital ocean and some more um uh, let's say there is like a, somewhere in the middle there is Heroku, um which started i believe in like 2010 ish um but i think they're they haven't really made any drastic changes to their platform since then so there are now another generation of other platforms, um, let's say Repolit, Vercel are some of the bigger players on the market. Um, however like none of us really do exactly the same. Like everyone every platform has its own flavor. Let's um for Vercel they focus on the uh, on the service side rendering um, with Next.js. And uh, for us we focus more on essentially replacing kubernetes with a user-friendly interface so essentially allowing you to run a microservice architecture through ui without having to touch kubernetes ever yeah And and also developing right there in the cloud yeah
1: and then there's also a platform like WingLang. Have you heard about that? Is It's also like, you know, from code, you can provision the infrastructure. It's like a bit different, but I would say like it's sort of like in the same category that uh, in that product as well, like from the code, you can write the code for the in the, the infrastructure and then you can write your own logic as well, like what you are doing, right? So you can write your Lambda function and then you define the Lambda function. Then you mm-hmm. are setting up something in Redis maybe. then. Automatically it will, you know, provision, it will uh write the Terraform code, or you want like cloud formation, so it will do that. So yeah, I've seen like a lot of uh, these sort of tools, but like yeah, every tool has like something like you know different. So there's no I haven't seen anything like I I have seen uh, your product. It's not like I haven't seen like you know, very similar, like 90 to 80 percent similar product, like so all of them are like yeah, a bit different, bit different.
0: Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's a very fast growing market right now. Um, and uh, I like the ten- ten- tendency towards simplification because as we, um, like as, as, as humanity, as we let's say grow, the tools we use become more sophisticated and more complex over time, just because of, let's say all like, if you cater for a big audience, you have to build something flexible, something that is very flexible becomes overly complex. And uh, if everything is becoming complex, we as humans, we are not becoming significantly smarter, like we still have the same brain we had like 200,000 years ago. And so we need to simplify those tools in order to continue using them. Otherwise, the learning curve will become way too steep for people to even enter the field. Yeah, that is that is true. Uh, Because
1: like, yeah, there are like a lot of things going on, like, and then like, uh, talking about, you know, your future plan, like, you know, what is the future plan of codes like, what are the, you know, big things that you guys have decided, or even the small things that in the roadmap that you have decided, like moving forward, like we will work on these, these, these things, maybe after like four or five years. So I would, you know, love to know about that.
0: So we are still pretty okay, not pretty, but we're still not where we want to be. We still haven't implemented our vision, which is to have full development pipeline in the cloud so that you don't have to ever leave this single type of a browser. You can do everything from there. You can build an entire application from scratch with microservices, databases everything you would need, uh, domains, uh, scaling. And uh, even if you have a case which utilizes machine learning models, you would also have it in the same place so you don't have to leave it. Um, And that's what we want to build. We want to build this all-in professional development platform. Yeah, it's
1: like, uh, I would pray, you know, you guys, you know, eventually reach that goal. Because if you have like everything in one place, like, you know, the way you are explaining it, like then it's like, you know, a lot of hassle right now because you have like AWS, if you go to any cloud platforms, like, you know, uh, it, it requires, you know, You have to do some certification to understand that, you know, to fully, you know, uh, set up the infrastructure, everything. Then even like the small things like connecting domain, you know, uh, setting up the database and then the VPC and that stuff. Like, obviously, if you can do all of that from just like one place, you're also like writing your logic and then like you're handling all of these aspects from one place. Yeah, uh, I would say, you know, if you guys are able to do it, like then uh, I don't think there is any point like people not. Adopting it, like, then obviously everyone, uh, every tech company would say, okay, yeah, that's uh, a good, like,
0: uh, unified solution. Thank you, Josefa. Yeah, we originally got inspiration from Google because at Google, there is a really cool proprietary stack of software used for code reviews and uh, version control and search. And it is not available to anyone outside of Google, but it's really well built and integrated. And it locate, it is located in the cloud. So that's where the original inspiration came from. And uh, yeah, we just want to make this great experience available to everyone.
1: Yeah, that, that is that is cool. And how do you guys keep your team motivated? Because in startup, like, you have a lot of up and down. Sometimes you guys are, like, very happy. You have, like, you know, raise another round. And sometimes, you know, things are not going right. Like, there are, like, too many errors and problems Customer are reporting that. So, obviously, how, you know, what things that you guys do to, like, you know, make sure the whole team is motivated and, you know, you are working on the same uh,
0: vision. One thing which is perhaps the paramount of that is we do explain the why behind decisions that we make. We if we make a decision um on on a strategy, on a company strategy, we do have events like a fireside chat every month where we do elaborate on the decision, explain why we're doing that. And then we'll also um, give the why behind smaller things like individual tasks. So oftentimes, in companies, it might be that you get a ticket with a particular task assigned to you. And you you see that you need to do something, but you don't understand why what is the how does it contribute to the bigger picture? And uh, that's what we try to eliminate, we try to have the why explained on all levels, so that people see their contribution. And uh, if they if we get some user feedback, we we'll also share it with the team, um, so that they can be proud of the work that they're doing.
1: Yeah, that's a good strategy that like, you know, everyone knows that their work is being valued. Like, it's not like they're working on something and it doesn't contribute anything that they know, okay, there's a reason why I'm working on this particular feature. And then obviously sharing them the feedback and obviously sometimes, you know, in big companies, the feedback is just taken by the product team and then they design something and then they tell the dev, you have to do this. So just telling them everything and the why behind everything you guys are doing. It's like a good strategy to keep them motivated and keep them, you know. So it's good for them as well to they know that why they are doing this X Y Z thing. So yeah, that's good. And uh, in the end, uh, what's your final advice for you know all other young entrepreneurs? So yeah, I would like to know about it.
0: So if you are planning to become an entrepreneur, uh, be mindful that it will be a very hard and long journey. But if you are still on board, then uh, there are many important problems to be addressed in this world. Don't jump on high bandwagons, look long-term. The great startups take time to build. So you need to see where the world will be in a few years from now and build for, for that world, not for the world that is today
1: yeah that is that is absolutely amazing and yeah that brings us to end of another exciting episode and thank you so much roman for uh joining us and sharing all these valuable insights and your life journey as well like how you guys did it and yeah that was very insightful and very inspiration as well
0: thank you for having me i really enjoyed this conversation so yeah
1: for everyone who is listening you know just keep on watching uh the videos and uh work on your ideas like if you have an idea you should have the courage you should you know uh you know start working on your idea and you know don't worry about you know failing if you fail once just you know try second time third time because this journey is a bit tough but you have to you know uh stay motivated so until next time have a nice day and bye bye